the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What are the top theology stories of 2023? And then when does free speech go too far? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It's Wednesday. You know what we haven't said in a while? It's hump day. It's almost we haven't said Christmas. that in a while. Do you think it's time for a moratorium on hump day, though? Except we haven't said it in a long time. I feel like that moratorium has existed. I'm breaking. You're bringing it back. You're breaking the moratorium. Okay. I'm just wondering I'm if we need to like, just... call it. We need to call it. We can. Time of death. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, that was dark, but yes, we can. <laughs> uh, I'm good with that. I'm good. I okay. gave it. It's one more run there. Yeah, that was its and, last uh, hurrah. And we can go. Okay. Uh, but it's almost Christmas. It is halfway through the week. One could say it's getting over the hump of the week Ooh. to the back side of it. <laughs> you're just going to uh, keep, keep putting it in there, aren't you? <laughs> and we are glad you're joining us today. How are you? It's Wednesday. How are you doing today? Um, I'm great. <laughs> How am I? I don't know. I'm fine. I'm, I think I've told you my Christmas shopping's done. So people are like, are you so stressed? I'm like, no, I'm not. Every, like, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my son has an orchestra concert tonight. Have I told you my son, my middle son, Lincoln, he plays the viola. He's played viola. for three years now. And he, on his own merit, uh, with his own pluckiness, went to his orchestra teacher and said, I would also like to learn the upright bass. Oh, or the cool. string bass. So he is now also playing string bass. So I don't think the co- I think the concert tonight he's going to stick with the viola because it's very new. But yes. apparently my son plays two instruments. <laughs> so uh, a comment and a question. Yeah. The comment is: Please tell me you meant that as a pun when you use the phrase pluckiness along with the string bass and the viola. Brian. I don't think I even realized how brilliant that was until that you was, just pointed it out. That was to wow. That wow. <laughs> I missed my own I missed my own punny brilliance in that moment. Wow. It was right in front wow. of you. Wow. With luckiness. Uh so my kids didn't get very far with instruments. Emily went the longest. She played the violin. She was actually really good with it. And then one day she was just like I don't want to do that anymore. Classic. Emily. <laughs> She's over it. I'm out. And we were kind of like sad because when she did like her one recital, the teacher was like, you've got great talent. You're really good. And then she's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm out. Uh, do you, so your kid is what grade would this be orchestra? Is this still, I forget. He's eighth grade, so next eighth year grade. is freshman year. Yeah, we got it. We just got the high school registration forms yesterday and I was like, oh, yeah. so, uh, Eighth grade orchestra concerts, a yeah. a um like an act of love or an enjoyable experience for you? Like what is this? Oh, I don't because I didn't get love. past like fifth oh. grade. I didn't get past like fifth grade, and that was just an act of love. 
it's all active love even now it's all active love and you know they it's obviously you're proud of your kid and it's fun to see you but they make you sit through all the other kids and all the other performances and i'm like i understand it's a community and camaraderie and they're teaching you politeness and like how to attend a concert they have all these signs that are like Please do not leave after your child's performance. Stay for the entire performance. Yes. Please do not yes. be distracted on your phone or blah, blah, blah. The past few concerts, I mean, they're precious. The kids are precious. But I have brought a book and I've read a book. <laughs> and I'm not that even joking. Blatant. I'm not even joking. I have brought a book and I've read a book until it's my son's turn. And then I look up and I cheer him on and I'm very, very proud of him. We make the videos and actually we are really proud of him. And then I go back to my book or we just ignore the rules and we sneak out and we leave. And then come back and pick him up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good example. I'm just telling you, like, it, it is an act of love. The reading of the book is aggressive. It's that aggressive. is I aggressive. Know. Like, hiding know. your phone or a tablet would be one thing. Opening up a book. I know. The funny thing is, though, we went to a symphony concert one time, and I, like, didn't know what to do. And so I brought a book. And, like, you listen to the music while you're reading. Like, I actually think it's quite lovely in a way to enjoy the concert. Because it's really, I mean, you know, it's background music. Yeah, But it is aggressive. I'm not, I mean, again, I'm not proud of myself, and I'm not trying to tote this as, like, everyone should do it. But I'm just going to – it's love. It's love. Brian, yes, love. yes. Hey, well, I'm cheering on your son's pluckiness <laughs> with the with the viola. And He's gonna and string music. some songs together. <laughs> Don't try. You can't. Okay, beat I forced it. Not... I know. Oh, man, that was good. That was good. Yeah, you. It was good, but you, you <laughs> lost it because you didn't mean it. Okay, Gospel Coalition. <laughs> Gospel Coalition. End of the year. We've got all the end of the year stuff, which yeah. is great fodder if you have a radio show, by the way. But end of the year good stuff. Point. Uh, Colin Hansen did their top 10 theology stories of 2023, which Ooh, was kind of fun. That's kind it of was fun. kind of fun to read through because it was like a looking back over our radio show. <laughs> it was oh, like, a, nice. Oh, You're like, oh, we about talked that. about that. We talked about that. Let's play this like the family feud. Ooh. So some of them. Here's what makes this difficult. A lot of them just aren't events, but some of them are events, but some of them are more like. Number nine, the pro-life movement regroups after electoral setback. Uh, like you wouldn't guess that. No, but I any definitely wouldn't. Events, if you haven't yes. opened it, any events uh, yes. come up to you? Two come to mind. Maybe three. I don't know okay. about the third one. Two come to mind. Uh, especially Gospel Coalition, Tim Keller dying. Uh, I thought that would actually be number one, but it is number seven, uh, eight. The death of Tim Keller was number eight. Okay. Wow. Wow. That is further than I thought. Uh, Something about the SBC is on there. I don't know what, but something about Southern Baptist Convention is on there. Number 10 was the disfellowshipping of Saddleback Church Ah. over female pastors. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, I was going to say, wait, can I say two more that I think are maybe on there? Yes. Uh, Anything about Josh Butler and that crazy article he wrote that the Gospel Coalition I don't think the Gospel Coalition wants to bring that back to mind. <laughs> that should be on there, though. That should be that on there. That was uh, as best <laughs> I could tell. Although, I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about what we learned from this list. And I think that one does play oh, into okay. it. okay. I have one more guess, but oh, I, this is the one I'm not sure about. Uh, okay. Is there anything about Andy Stanley's uh, – yeah. oh, there yeah. is. Okay. okay. Not Andy Stanley himself. But his, like, his conference? It is uh, – Oh, where am I here? Let's see. 
uh, activists seek to change theology of sexuality from within Christian communities. And it begins with Andy Stanley okay. uh, and the move here. So number one, it's hard. Like this is like a big umbrella. Number one has to do with Hamas and oh, Israel. Okay. Number I two had to do that. with chat GPT. Okay. So I there are that. Some yeah. Yeah. As I read it, I thought to myself, what's the common theme here? Like, what is this pointing to? Where are we going? And not the two I just mentioned to you, but a lot of them have to do with this. And I would love to your feedback on like the direction of theology stories and issues. A lot of them have to are cultural. They are mm. uh, sexuality. They mm. are de-churching. They are Christian mm. nationalism. Mm. They are. Uh, and I think they're right. I think these are. But it also made me go, are we losing the main point? It's not like the big thing is like. How do we reach the third world or the uh, the 1040 window? How do we do this? It's a lot of like. How do we love our neighbors? Yeah. It's a lot of like the encroaching of sexuality. Like I told you that one from within or the increase in de-churching. The so more reactionary, the more right? reactionary to cultural moments. Yeah. And it is. it does beg a question if we lost the like Jesus plotline a little bit. Maybe. Right. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure they're trying to get clicks and that's what causes people to look, right? Yeah. Like people now, so aren't necessarily like, how do I love people in the 1040 window right now? But you're <laughs> right that that's, that's the mission of God. Yeah. Uh, one of them is just Gen Z shows signs of spiritual revival. So they're not all negative. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lot of like, like I said, it's not for theology stories you would expect more theology than yeah i'm actually a little surprised they put them they they titled it the top 10 theology stories instead of just like top 10 stories of the Story. year it was not, in not, evangelicalism right yeah 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 because you're right i i don't think it's fair to call them theology stories at yeah. all like yeah. tim keller dying is not a theology story I would have guessed Tim Keller would have been number one. Yeah, easily, same. But. Especially for the Gospel Coalition. Yeah, now I'm looking at the list. Yeah, Gen Z shows signs. Activists seek to change. Okay, yeah, chat GPT. So positive ones. There's some positive ones. Yeah. In there. It's not all. Yeah. But it's a lot of, if you read this and you didn't know the landscape, you'd go, okay, the ma the biggest issue is sexuality. It's nationalism. And those right. are huge issues. We talk sure. about them all the time. Sure. It just made me wonder, okay, if these have we lost the the main thing? Are great we losing question. it is something to be thought about. I you can go to the Gospel question. Coalition and check out uh their list. Coming up next, uh, friend of the show, Karen Swallow Pryor, she posted something uh from years ago where uh at a school she was working at, and she asked this how should a university have responded to this column? written by a student being published in a student newspaper. Mm. Uh, I'm going to read to you what this student years ago, who is now a well-known opinion writer, oh. uh, what she wrote. And we're going to try to answer Karen's question. What should the, the what should they have done back then? We're going to do huh. that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Karen Swallow Pryor, who we've had on the show many times, uh, regularly at the crossroads of like evangelical thought and evangelical people throwing rocks at her. And, <laughs> that's a good, that's a uh, really good description. That is where she regularly been, 
been lives. hit by the been hit by a real bus in the metaphorical <laughs> bus. <laughs> so yes, someday we've to have Veronica. Which has been more painful in What's your life? What's worse? <laughs> what? Which one lingers a little bit more? Yeah. <laughs> but she posted something. Uh, she said, this was my university and was directed against a club that I led uh, about something that was written in the student newspaper at uh, the State University of New York in Buffalo. Mm. So it was written by a student at that time named Michelle Goldberg, who now writes for the New York Times. Oh, so, wow. Uh, Karen just t- tweeted this the other day and people have been really commenting on it. So I thought it would be interesting to co- talk about. She said, I'm genuinely curious because we talk a lot about free speech right now. Yeah. Yeah, particularly on college campuses. What's the role of the college? So Karen says, how should a university have responded to this column written by a student being published in a student newspaper? It was written in 1995. So this is not recent. Yeah. Right. But uh, it was about abortion. So this person, Michelle Goldberg, who is now as I said, at the New York Times, but wrote this as a student in a student newspaper. So I'm going to read it to you, Aubrey, and you go, I want you to weigh in on what is the role of a school here, whether it be a university, maybe a high school paper, whatever else it might be. She wrote, anti-choicers have declared war on women. Now it's up to us to fight back. If that means guarding the clinic doors with Uzis, then that's what will have to be done. Just once, I'd like to see someone blow up one of those churches. This week is anti-choice week at their school. If you see one of them showing their disgusting videos or playing with toy fetuses, do your part and spit at them. Kick them in the head. Their God is worth nothing compared to my body. Yes, abortion is a bit bloody. So is a root canal. Uh, If you think abortion is gruesome, you should see childbirth, an ordeal 10 times more dangerous to women's health. The anti-choice oh. movement is like self-help for them. Too bad there's no Fanatics Anonymous to give them the help they need. Whoa. This was written by a student in 1995. Again, I think it's illustrative to go, she's a really well-known opinion columnist <laughs> at the New York Times now. Whoa! So, a couple little helpful points. I do think it's illustrative when she talks about Uzis and this and that. This is pre-Columbine. This is pre-school mm, shootings. This is pre- yeah. I don't know that that matters, but I'm just trying to set the context. Right, right. To right, uh, We live right. in a different world on college campuses and stuff. But man, when I read this, this is super aggressive. And Karen asked the question. She, I believe Karen when she says, I'm genuinely curious. Like what should this? I would love to know what the school actually did do. Uh, I believe Karen, uh, while you answer what they should do, I'm going to look, I think later she says what they did, but uh, what do you Um, think? How would you answer Karen's thing? Man, I mean, it's okay. So a student newspaper, I want to get some framework. Does that mean the students published it on their own? Are we to assume that this was a college paper? It's a college paper. So it's like when we were at Wheaton, right? There was the record that you have student reporters, student editors, they're learning how to run a newspaper. But there's faculty advisors, and the, ultimately the school speaks for the newspaper, but it's student-led yeah. for them to learn how to be part yeah. of a newspaper. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think they should have asked her to take away the like a side like the the inciting of violence. So mm-hmm. I think it's fine, especially it's not a Christian school, 
It's fine to her, for her to have her opinions and to state them. It's fine for her to even use some of the language that she uses. Some of it you skipped, which is, you know, pretty uh, uh, evocative. <laughs> yes. I think all of that is actually fine. But I, I think any of this language, guarding the door with Uzis, blowing up one of their churches, spitting on them, kicking on them. It's, I mean... It's absolutely not okay. And the reason that I pause there is because it it brings to mind. Now, this is an unfair assumption, and I'm going to say it anyway, even though I know it's a leap. We have had a president of our United States incite a massive riot on January 6th at the Capitol with the same kind of language. And people are still debating if he should or shouldn't have. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know what the school should have done, in my opinion, I don't think that hate or inciting violent speech is okay. I think that's different than free speech. This is a little bit what we talked about earlier this week with the college presidents. Like it is a different thing to say, I have speech feet, I have free speech, and I'm going to use that to call someone to violence against a people group, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely a line here. Um, I think that if this happened now, uh, I think she would have and should have been kicked out of school. Yeah. I think that that would have been the appropriate yeah. response. Yeah. Now, 1995, at the very least, Karen implies later she doesn't say it. She implies later that nothing happened to her, like nothing mm. happened to this writer. Yeah. It stayed up. Yeah. Nothing happened to her writing, let alone to right. her. Right. But I do think this becomes illustrative to what the conversation is now about also where is their grace shown to really inflammatory stuff in our world? And where is their, uh, where are people cracked down upon? And yeah, um, yeah. man, you read this now through a 2023 lens and it's shocking. Like, yeah. can't, I can't imagine, nor should it be like, I'm not saying, Oh, somebody tongue in cheek in the comments that I miss the old days of violence is the answer. But the person is being like being funny uh, and yeah, cheek about yeah. it. I read this right now as a through a 2024 lens, and I'm like, is it's that really language. how we talk? Is that really what we say? Is that really? And uh, yeah, I think she would have been kicked out as hopefully, hopefully been kicked out. But then again, we see what's going on on some of these college campuses right now, and you're like, yeah, no, she wouldn't have been kicked out. <laughs> so. I know it is like I, I really, I, I do think it's an interest. Like, yes, it, you can't use any type of language like this now. Period, especially on a school campus. There has been too much violence, too many school shootings. Too, I mean, just you know, absolutely not okay. And not that it was okay back then, but you're right that the landscape was different. Right. So I think people might have read that and assumed she was being emphatic metaphorical but now you read that and total his history has painted a different story and you're like no 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 she should probably be in prison like this is not okay yeah um but i still think this debate about like what it means to have free speech in our country like it has to stop at violence against yeah. the people group yeah. i i just like I don't know. I just don't. I, I even for like the Christian who's like my you know right to free speech. I'm like yeah, but you're also called to love your enemy, and so I just don't know that Jesus would be okay with this. Yeah, I know violence, Jesus wouldn't be okay with this. Violence seems to be the breaking point right now, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, what's also interesting, I understanding who Michelle Goldberg is. That's who wrote this, and 
what she writes now. Mm-hmm. I would bet that she's got some re- and you know you got to let people say that they've changed over thirty years oh, for sure. Yeah, right? totally. No but one's with the that same said, when they were in college. I would yeah. bet that she's written some very strong gun control stuff in the last couple of years, and so to see her be like, "We need to take up Uzis," <laughs> and you're <laughs> like, "Wow, the way we talk." So anyway, I found that yeah, interesting wild. from Karen because it was also this is from Karen's life. Karen was leading the group the pro-life group that she was writing against here. She's been in the pro-life stream for a long she time. She really has. Mm-hmm. She, she's got the receipts. She really does. Yeah, she does. Uh, but also to go, wow, the way it, it served as a snapshot to 1995, to yeah, how yeah. we used to talk and how much things have changed. So certainly very interesting. All right, coming up next, uh, Aubrey and I have talked a bunch in the last couple of weeks about our love for food for the poor. The organization we are looking to support through the month of December here on AM 1160. And we're going to spend some more time coming up next talking about our friends from Food for the Poor. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. And Aubrey, we've been talking throughout the month of December. I get it. There's a lot of things uh, pulling at your wallet in the month of December. Gifts, (laughs) end of the year parties and all that stuff. Uh, But it's also a wonderful time to, as a family or as an individual, take time to support great organizations, an end of the year gift, a, uh, you know, something in in the vein of Christmas. And with that in mind, we here at AM 1160 have decided through the month of December that we want to highlight and support our friends at Food for the Poor. Now, Food for the Poor is a great organization that is looking to provide life-saving food for kids and families in Latin America, the Caribbean, places like Haiti, where literally kids go without food for days on end. And Food for the Poor, partnering with local churches, wants to step in and provide that much-needed food. It's changing lives. It is literally changing lives for kids, for families, right? You can't go to school if you're hungry. You can't... have any sort of production and productive life if you're wondering where your next meal is coming from or where your kid's next meal is coming from. And what we love about Food for the Poor is for just a little bit of money, $80 one-time gift, you can feed two kids for an entire year. So go to AM1160 or 1160hope.com and there click on the red Give Life banner at 1160hope.com. And there you can support food for the poor. There's a match going on right now. Uh, And some of you, you're looking for a place to give that end of the year gift that, you know, got to get it in for your taxes or whatever else it might be. Food for the poor is a wonderful spot. So go to 1160hope.com because, Aubrey, we really do. We really do love these people. Yeah, we we really we love food for the poor and we don't, you know, I, like I appreciated that you said that, Brian. It's a hard time of year, and we know people are asking you for things, and we know you're spending your money on your family, and you're right. spending your money on gifts. Maybe you're sneaking in some gifts for yourself this time of year. Like I, I understand that, but I, I do think like Brian and I love this organization, and so we bring them to you with a lot of confidence, honestly, because of the work that they do on the ground and because they're not – like our friends, you know, Paul and Anitra. Anitra, I think, comes on later on today, which I'm really excited about. Um, But, you know, they're – 
they're not removed from the work themselves. Like they're actually in these countries where they serve. They know the names of the pastors. They know the names of the kids. They've seen the difference between you know, a, a child who is starving and a child who has been on a food program for an entire year because of yep. your generosity. They've seen like the hope and they've seen the power of the gospel go forward and they've seen prayers be answered. And so I personally love when we get to work with food for the poor because it's uh, it's like the real deal, as people say, you know That's what I right. mean? Like they're actually people of integrity doing the work on the ground, bringing food and bring the gospel to the places that need it most. And what they often emphasize and what we often emphasize is it's not like these kids are like sort of hungry. Oops, maybe missing a meal a day. This is actual starvation. This is like lives are at stake. And so it's an opportunity if you're somebody who thinks about like, God, what do you want me to do for you? God, I want to make a difference for your kingdom. God, especially this time of year, I want my own kids to you know, be about something meaningful and to think about more than just materialism and their Christmas gifts. This is an awesome opportunity for you to partner with God with this incredible organization yeah. and, you know, bring a gift of kids who's just desperately need food. So again, like Brian said, you can go to our website, 1160hope.com, click on that banner at the top of the screen. And your because of a generous match, a one-time gift of $80 provides food for an entire year. But give your best gift. If you can yeah. give $8, God's going to multiply that. If you can give $800, God's going to multiply that. And yeah. no gift is you know better than the other. We just want to see you be an answer to prayer. Yeah. Food for the Poor is an organization that we also trust, right? You want to know. That's it. Yeah. Every now and then, I won't name names, but you read of big nonprofit <laughs> organizations, both in the Christian world and in the non-Christian yeah. world, where you know their CEOs are making close to a million dollars, or right, right. this much, this percentage goes to overhead costs, and you're like, well, what am I really giving towards? One of the reasons that we feel so confident about food for the poor is that they are the money you give. The vast majority, we're talking in the ninety percentiles goes to providing food for kids. Right. And so you can be confident that the money you're giving is doing that. And so, yeah. uh, because you don't want to go, well, am I giving my money and it's going to some CEO? Administrative you know, services or, or the whatever. CEO. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it goes to the kids and, and food for the poor, as you've heard many times from Paul Jacobs or Anitra, they partner with local churches in these countries and so not only are they primarily providing food, but they're also be, the churches are, are able to have make inroads into the communities, are able to share the gospel. Yeah. They're able to share the love of Jesus and tell people, hey, people in America care for you enough that they wanted you to have this food. And mm -hmm. man, what a life changing thing. And, you know, Aubrey, uh, selfishly, I know we also know that the Bible tells us when we give, we are blessed. That's we good. get joy. We reminder. get other stuff. It's a it's a good also reason to do things like this. Yeah, I feel like that's a really that's a really good reminder. And I appreciate that you tend to bring that up, that God loves a cheerful giver. And and I don't think we need to feel bad about that. Oh, right. Like no, sometimes I think you can be like, oh, I should give at my own detriment. You know what I mean? Well, what if you give from love? What if you give from yeah. joy? What if you give from cheerfulness and you give expecting like, oh, God's going to be so proud of me that I did that. And God's going to 
bless me for that. God's going to, I'm going to feel good because of that. My soul's going to feel a little bit lighter because I gave something to someone in need. Like, I think that is all a really good reason to partner with food for the poor and, um, and, you know, be a part of, be a part of what God is doing around yep. the world. Yep. I, there's no better way to spend your Wednesday. Let's be honest. It's a win-win. It is a, uh, Kids get food, much-needed, life-saving food, and the Bible says I grow joyful. I get mm, joy. I get, mm. uh, you know, the, the the joy of knowing that my money has gone to make an eternal impact and done something good. So That's good, go to 1160hope.com, click on the food banner. It's a, You'll see the food for the poor red banner right there at 1160hope.com. And as Aubrey, I think, likes to say, make your best gift. What's your best gift that you can give today? Uh, you won't regret it. So our friends right. from Food for the Poor, hopefully you will support them today. Coming up next, Aubrey, I saw this on Twitter. One of our favorite pastors, Rich Viotis, talking about this. There's no brokenness beyond God's ability to repair. We're going to listen mm, to a little beautiful. bit of of, uh, of Rich Viotis' sermon. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And Aubrey, we do a lot on this show. We joke, you know, we, we're a lot of joking, a lot of heavy topics, a lot of current events. Uh, I think one of the best things we can do for people is to introduce them to other pastors and let them hear mm. from mm. just people who I think have great godly wisdom to share. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. one of those pastors, we've actually had him on once or twice, is Rich Viotis out of New York City. Uh, what was the name of his awesome book? I'm putting you on the, the Deeply spot Rooted Life. The Deeply Formed Life, yes. Deeply Formed Life, yes. Book, even though I can't remember the name of it, it's phenomenal. <laughs> it I is a great book. People. It's a really helpful read, yeah. I believe Rich is pastor in uh, in uh, Queens, took over yes. for Pete Scazzaro, if yes. I remember right. Yes, the Emotionally uh, Healthy Church Guy. Yes, that being Pete Scazzaro. Uh and so I was just scrolling through Twitter like we do, and some of it, it's like a cesspool. But then every now and then, there's a light in the darkness. And there was a, <laughs> a minute of Rich Viotis's, I, a recent sermon. I don't know if it was this past week or in the past weeks. Uh, and it was basically about this. I'm going to let you hear it. But he's talking about uh, God's ability to repair and work through our brokenness, but that mm-hmm. we struggle with that just kind of knowledge. Uh, it's about a minute long. Let's give a listen to it, and then we'll respond. When our lives are broken, when our lives like pottery get shattered, so many of us wonder, is there anything that God can do with me? Is there anything that God can do through me and in my life? I'm worthless. I'm trash. I should just be discarded. And God says, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Because I can work with broken pottery. I can work with broken pieces. I can put you back together again. And this is what God has for you, brothers and sisters. God longs to put you back together. God longs to mend you in ways that you cannot mend yourself. That's grace. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's salvation. That's God putting you back together. And so here's a question. Where have you said in your own life, this is broken beyond repair? I've come on the second Sunday in Advent of 2023. You're here. You're watching this right now because God wants to remind you there is no brokenness that's beyond my ability to repair. Amen. I mean, that's a message you can't hear enough, right? right. When he said, oh, God yeah. longs to put you back together. God yeah. longs to mend you in ways that you can't mend yourself. There's like a couple different parts of this. Like we we struggle to believe this. 
And so we see ourselves as broken and therefore God can never love me or God can never, um, you know, use me to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And God can never, isn't going to do anything about it. I'm kind of this discarded, broken piece, mm. you know, piece of pottery to use Rich Viotis's imagery yeah. and the Bible's yeah. imagery. Man, what he's getting at is at the core of our identity and how we view God. Well, and what's so beautiful, you can't really see him, obviously, over the radio, but he's got a picture behind him of Kintsugi pottery, which is known for um, its broken pottery that artists put back together. But when they put it back together, they use gold to meld it. And so it's Mm. got these beautiful patterns where it was once broken, but now becomes this mosaic with like gold thread. And it's so symbolic, right, of just like mm-hmm. what God does in our life, making us new, taking those broken pieces and putting them together in a way that's actually restored and actually beautiful and actually like something even about the brokenness when God touches it and brings that healing and runs that gold thread artistry through it that like even somehow the brokenness is is useful and becomes a part of the beauty and becomes a part of the whole story of what God is doing. And um, I do think it's really a good reminder, like when you kind of feel just like, man, I'm beyond repair, I'm beyond usefulness, or I'm beyond redemption, uh, or I'm forgotten, I'm discarded. I'm kind Mm. of just like that piece of pottery on the side of the road that nobody cares about anymore. You know, that kind of feeling that we all go through as human beings sometimes, like to know, like, no, God, God does see you. And God's ministry is to pick you up, take you back into his artist, you know, Mm. studio and meld you back together with threads of gold and threads of goodness and threads of beauty. And that's what God, that's who God is. That's what God has done. And really, I mean, some of it is like your only responsibility in that is to let God do that work. Like let God love you, let God change you, let God transform you, surrender to what it is God's doing and what you find on the other side of that brokenness really. I mean, you know, it is something um, really miraculous that only a Mm. loving God could do. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I love that he says, I mean, he ends it, this clip that you heard by being like, so where are the broken pieces that you believe are beyond repair? Mm. Like that's the question he asks Mm. to his congregation. And I think that's a worthy question to be asked, but you said something interesting there. I'm not to put words in your mouth, but you, you kind of implied at least that it's actually the places that have been repaired where God can work the most in us and through us that there's almost a, um, a strength in our brokenness as opposed to like right now you could think it's like, okay, he'll put the pieces back together. It'll Mm -hmm. be weaker, but at least that's great. Thank Mm -hmm. you, God. Thank you for your grace. But that there's something in there where there's actual strength and I can minister from those places. Yeah. Like I am more and more convinced and scripture talks about this, right? I am just more and more convinced that it really is our, it is our weakness. It is our brokenness. It is our suffering places. It is our hardships. It is our trials. It is the pain that we have undergone when surrendered to the Lord. Like it's from those places where God does the most powerful ministry in us and through us. You know, Paul Mm -hmm. talks about obviously, you know, when I'm weak, he is strong, but Paul also talks about like where we've received comfort is the ministry that God has given us to comfort others with. And what that implies is that there has been pain and there has been hurt Mm -hmm. and we've needed God to heal us. And I mean, this is purely anecdotal, Brian, but don't you think like people, you know, that have kind of been through war 
and yet have stayed faithful to Jesus. Those are some mm-hmm. of the most seasoned, peaceful, yeah. deep, compassionate, wise people. And I see Jesus in them and I want to learn from them. If And there's not a lot of people that live a like a solid gold life, you know, that's never been touched by pain. But when you see those people, to me, that reads a little shallow and I'm not as interested. I don't see a lot of that beauty shining through or that depth shining through. I want to know, like you have wrestled with God in the dark, Mm. but you've stayed faithful. And, and I trust that the Lord is like birthing something powerful in you and through you because of that. Yeah, and And again, that's purely anecdotal and that's, that's, but it's not just, it's not just anecdotal because scripture talks about it. Like there, yeah. there is something that God does in those broken places through the repair. And that doesn't mean stay broken. That doesn't mean stay dark. That doesn't mean stay unfixed. It just means like in the surrender and in the healing, like, I don't know, God's birthing something really beautiful in you and through you for other people. Yeah. I mean, it's biblical, right? The the jars of clay with that, That's that it. passage. Yeah. But- yeah. So what do you, what's the, he asked the people where are your broken pieces that you don't believe God can mend? then what, I guess, and I'm sure he mm. gets into that in his sermon. Like we only took a really small clip from yeah. it. Yeah. Right. But it does beg the question, then what, what would you say to somebody who's like, ah, I don't know what to do with my brokenness. So this is where I think like, it's less maybe about what you do and more about like, being. And I know that sounds so like floofy, but like (laughs) what I mean is like in, in those broken, really difficult, painful places, like that is when you just simply invite Jesus in, you sit at his feet in quietness, you practice some of the spiritual practices that are less doing and more restful, like Mm -hmm. Sabbath, like listening, like maybe fasting, like I, of course, I think like, and, and I, Pete Scazzaro would say this, Rich Viotis would say this, like go to a therapist, you know what I mean? Like God uses therapists to get the help you need, but also some of it is not doing more, achieving more, trying more, trying to like pass that test so that God heals you. It's sitting in the presence of Jesus and allowing his mercy and his goodness to wash over you so that you become a person who is so surrendered to love that you can't help but experience the healing of God. And I, again, I know that sounds a little like, philosophical or squishy. And yet I think that's where the power is that connection to the intimacy and love of the father, just letting it wash over you. That's what brings healing. Yeah. There is something to be said about our, our, we're always like, what do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? And and that may not always be helpful. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's about who am I going to be or Mm -hmm. just trusting that God is at work, even even if I don't get it or don't see it. So good words there from Rich Viotis. Very thankful for him and his ministry. I'd Mm -hmm. encourage you to check him out on Twitter. Check out his book, all sorts of other places. Hey, we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. We are so glad you've been with us today. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.